Good morning, Hepzibah. It's good to see all of you today, and we're glad to gather here as we continue our series that really has everything to do with who we are as a body of believers, who we are as a church. Last week, we laid the foundation of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, that we exist for His glory. We exist to praise Him, to worship Him. And the greatest way that we bring worship and praise to God, uh, we think about just coming into a room like this and and we tie up worship to one hour, two hours a week. But the reality is worship is what we do day in and day out, every moment of our life as we take what the Lord has spoken to us and we live it out in faithful obedience. And what has the Lord spoken to us? He has told us that as a body of believers, we talked about this last week, our mission as believers in Jesus Christ is the great commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The mission is the great commission. And beyond those words, the mission is the great commission. Today, we're going to talk about the strategy that we have as a church to accomplish this. This wasn't something that we came up with and we changed yearly. In fact, Bill, I don't know how many years ago it was that we sat down as a staff and we determined and we said, this is the effective strategy, the biblical strategy of how it is we are going to be successful as a church body to make disciples. These are the things that matter. These are the things that we have to focus on, that we have to measure everything we do by if we're going to effectively see our church grow, see our church make a difference locally and around the world. We have to make disciples. So church, I told you last week, this isn't something we have to know as staff. Certainly we do need to know it. The deacons need to know it. The teachers need to know it. But I hope that you will really listen intently over the next several weeks because it's vitally important that you know who we are and how we accomplish ministry and what it is that we are asking of you as church members to do and to journey alongside of us. So today we're going to talk about Come Connect, Serve, Go. We're going to focus in on Come worship God today. But I want to I talk just one more moment about Come Connect, Serve, Go. The reason we chose that is because we really believe that the purpose, the mission why we exist, and the process has to go together. They're not two totally different things. One helps meet the end of the other. And so when we look at this, we came up with, and this was what we decided years ago. Bill will remember these meetings. We said that there has to be a beginning point in the journey of our walk with Jesus Christ. And then it has to give not just a starting point of where we begin that journey, but what is the direction it is sending us. And if you noticed, I didn't say that there is an end point, because when it comes to come, connect, serve, go, it doesn't have an ending. It has a beginning, and it points us in the direction that we should go. But if we've been faithful to do those things, guess what? We're going, and we're making disciples, but more people are coming to to worship God. They're becoming followers of Jesus Christ, and they start their journey of coming and connecting and serving, and then they go. If you notice, if you ever noticed our logo, it's circular. The reason we chose it very purposefully, because we wanted the logo that goes with Come, Connect, Serve, Go to show that it is a cycle, to show that this is a process that never, ever stops, that as long as God gives us breath and gives us life, we are going to be faithful to make disciples of Jesus Christ through this strategy. 
we said that first of all, there's four things. I hope you'll write them down. This is like pre-sermon. We wanted this to give clarity to the church. I can't think of easier words than come, connect, serve, go. Those are basic words to the English language. And when you add those subtitles to them, come worship God, connect through small groups, serve God and serve others, go to the nations. Those words become very important to us, but they are simple words that give clarity. They are easily communicated. They are easily shared. And not only did we go for clarity, but we wanted you to see that, that this strategy shows movement, clear steps that cause growth, that cause commitment. This is what Come Connect, Serve, Go is all about. It's about the journey. It's about the maturity of a believer. You becoming more and more like Jesus Christ to the point that his mission becomes your mission. Not only shows movement, but it creates, and the only way I know to say it is it creates alignment. If you know alignment, it means that, that basically you want to be able to go in a straight direction, right? A straight line with no pull left or right. You want to be aligned. And what that means is that it doesn't matter if you're a child in the children's department or you're a senior adult in the adult department. Come, connect, serve, go should be played out on every age level in every department. It doesn't matter whether it's music. It doesn't matter whether it's students that you should see. Come, connect, serve, go. When you go to our youth ministry, you see that every Wednesday night they have a gathering, a time where students can worship together, where they can bring their friends, where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have connect groups in student ministry. We ask and encourage our students to serve within the church. When you walked in today, did you see those great students waving the signs and welcoming all of you? We encourage our students to be involved. You notice the, the guitarists. You notice the students up there on stage singing. Service isn't something that we say they wait until they become adults. No, they're followers of Christ, and they serve now, so we want to equip them, right? And prepare them and send them out to serve and student ministry, I mean, it's just a great example of how the alignment, how the bigger vision of the church is seen in the smaller vision of the student ministry and that entity, that part of our larger ch church. Listen, when you look at student ministry, the goal of our student ministry, Brad and Twyla, it is that when they come out of student ministry, our hope is that by the time they graduate high school, they will have been on the foreign mission field so that if God puts on their heart a call to service, a call to go fulfill the Great Commission before they go to college, before they get so set in one direction that God has the chance to speak to them and to involve them. And hopefully, even if they're not full-time missionaries, it will start a lifetime commitment of missions involvement. So when we go to Moldova, listen, it's our college students. It's our student ministry students that are going. And guess what they're doing? They've come to Hepzibah. They've connected. They've served. Now they're going around the world, and kids are coming to Christ. It's teenagers ministering to teenagers, and they're sharing the gospel, and people are getting saved. And those students, guess what they begin to do over there? To come, connect, to serve. And they begin to go and be missionaries from there. Listen, it fits. It aligns. It brings all of our church into focus. And the last thing that we chose to do and that we really wanted to see happen in this church was it would not only create alignment, but it would give us focus. Churches can be very busy doing a lot of things. But we want to make sure that we're doing the things that matter the most. There are some things we need to leave to the Lions Club. We need to leave to the YMCA's. 
We need to leave to the rec centers of Wendell or Nightdale or wherever because they're things that while they may be good, they don't help us in the process of truly making disciples. And I don't know if you've realized it, folks, but the time is short. We only have so much money to allocate towards things that will make a difference for the kingdom of God. And we want to be sure that the things that we do fit this strategy. And it, help us, it helps us to determine what it is we should do and what it is that we should not do. And folks, it gives us a way to measure. Do you know what they say about most churches? They say that most churches, you have a congregation this size that walk in and sit down in a place like this. Let's say there's 500 sitting in a room. They'll say that to get connected some of those 500 people, they say out of a church of 500, the average in the United States is 50% actually get into connect groups. So already you could just cut right down in half, half the building in most churches. They never take the next step to really grow and be discipled in small groups, which we're going to talk about. And then when you talk about service, you've heard the 80-20, right? That's true in most churches, that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. And you see another slice. <laughs> and all this goes away. And then when you talk about going and being involved in missions locally and internationally, now you're talking in churches, you can just pretty much go right here. Now, they may give, but to actively be involved. And you see, what we want to see happen is we want to see come, connect, serve, go. We want Listen, if it was a funnel, coming and worshiping God in most churches is the big end of the funnel, right? And the connect gets smaller. And the serve gets smaller. And the going. And you know what happens when you try to pour too much into a funnel, right? When it's only that big in the bottom and you start to pour in the top, what starts to happen? You just lose it all. You ever see churches where people come and go and they come and go and they never find purpose, they never find mission, and they come and go and they come and go? What we want to see happen is that we get as many of those people who are coming, connecting, serving, going, so that we're no longer like this, where we got a tiny little hole at the bottom, but literally. And folks, if you've been at Hepsworth for the last 15 years, you've seen it. You've seen a church that has, rather than 500 and going to 250, you've seen where we'll run 600 and we'll, pop, we'll have literally 450 in connect groups or higher. After that, serving, we don't have an 80-20 problem. We've got probably 70% at least of this church that is active in some form of ministry. They're not just coming and sitting on Sundays. And I praise God that you see what has happened to our missions involvement and our mission partnerships and the impact globally that church, this church is able to make. That is not on the back of 10 people. Listen, we have hundreds of people that come and get involved in missions every year. And folks, listen, I told you a few weeks ago, you know what we're seeing? We've seen as many saved overseas almost this year. I believe this church will see more saved in our overseas partnerships and missions that we're doing than we have in our building week by week. That's the way it should be. So this strategy is important, church. Today we're going to talk about come. Come in and worshiping God. I'm going to take two very simple texts. When you look at the book of Psalms, where else will you go to talk about worship than the book of Psalms? It's a book of prayer. It's a book of worship. And I chose two Psalms that really give a picture, a microcosm of what so much of the other Psalms talk about. And if you boil down what worship is, why it is that we gather here together, these Psalms give you 
the impression of who we are supposed to be as believers because ultimately we are worshipers. The reason we go and do missions is so that there will be more worshipers who will give glory to God who is worthy of all of that praise. And this is what it simply says, Psalm 100, verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. And it is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. And if you back up just a couple pages, you'll find Psalm 86. And I want to read verse 9 and 10 to you as well. still hear rustling. That's good. This is what it says. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. Let that sink in. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord God, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great, and you do wondrous deeds, you alone our God. Powerful, powerful statements on worship. So let's talk about coming and worshiping today. First of all, I want us to look at how we come. How we come matters. How we come to this place. What occurs in this room matters greatly. Number one, because worship isn't about us. Worship is about God. If there's one thing we need to understand about worship out of the gate, let me say this to you before we really get into these points. Worship is not about getting. Most of us think, I'm going to worship to get something. Worship really isn't about getting. We come to worship to give. Literally, as you're going to see in a minute, the word worship and the word service, they're synonymous. They go hand in hand together. When you're not here, you're just thinking, well, you know what? I missed out today, and I guess I'm not going to get this, that, or the other. That's not the point. You know what the point is? Is that the Lord wants you to gather to praise and worship His name. That we get to gather in this place and we get to serve each other in love and in encouragement. It's not about what you're not going to get that day. You know what it really boils down to? It's what you're not going to get to give that day. As we gather in God's house with God's people. And he says, when we think about how we come to worship, listen to the words of the Lord right here, right out of the gate. He says that we as believers, we should be shouting joyfully to the Lord. Now, if you notice, that is not a question. That is a what? That's a statement. That is a command of God. What he's giving you here is several commands. They're not options. They're not optional. He's saying this is who we are as believers. When people on the outside come into this place, someone who's never been here before, do they, I mean, th think of what he's saying here. Do they see a people who are joyful? Someone shared with me after service today that their parents, after first service, they said, you know what, what you said is exactly true. They said that their parents, when they were trying to find a church, they drove through the small town that they were in, and they went to several churches, and they said, we never got out of the car until we watched the people. Think about that for a second. Because we wanted to see, was anybody even getting out of the car 
with a smile on their face. They said they went to six churches and never saw a smile from the parking lot. And you know what they did? They went and they started a church. Folks, when people come in the doors of this building, don't you know that it matters what they see? Here's the thing that most of us don't understand. Why being joyful worshipers, why being welcoming to individuals, why this should be a place where really people see that we celebrate, that we rejoice, that we're here to bless God, and we're a people that truly, it doesn't mean that we don't come in with baggage and we don't come in with stuff. All of us will every day of our lives. There would never be a day to worship where everything seems to have fallen in place. We all come together trusting that our God is good and merciful, and he's going to carry us, right? And when we come in, they should see a people that are joyful. Here's what statistics say. Most people that come to church are like the people I just talked about. When they visit a church, they will have made up their mind within the first seven minutes of walking in the door. Think of the implications for that. Most of you want to believe that, you know what, it's the preaching that makes the difference of whether people come or go. No, most people have made their mind up before I ever step into the pulpit. Well, you know, music is the thing that most... No, if people come in and they find a church that, uh, certainly if it's unfriendly, certainly if it seems like everybody there has been sucking lemons before they walked in the door, right? If they find a people that have zero joy, zero life, then you know what the reality is before Kevin ever hits a key? They've probably already made up their mind of whether they'll be back here again. And you know what that means? That means that the most important people that determine whether or not others come back into this body of believers, you know who it actually lays upon? You want to say it's me. You want to say it's Kevin. But I'm telling you, every statistic says it's all of you. Do people find us friendly? You know, there are times, you know what I want to do in this church? Number one, it, it kills me because I want to do it. I, if, if, I was, if I wasn't so fat and lazy, I would do this. I would come in because moving 500 chairs is not easy, y'all. We pay young people to do that. I would love to come in and every week mix the chairs up so it looks nothing like the week before so y'all can't go to your stalls. Because you just walk in and you go and you, oh, there's my seat. And you go and you just sit down in the seat. And you wait 10 minutes, service starts. You know what you ought to be doing? Your rear end not, not hit the seat until the music starts to play. And some of you say, well, the music's playing when I walk in. Then get up earlier. <laughs> you go to work all week and you're there on time. Get on time here. Because people need love. They need encouragement. They need a smiling face. They need someone to say, hey, you look like you're a guest with us today. Why don't you sit with my family today as we worship? And then see people that actually seem like they want to be there. That's what the world needs. That's why we've tried to up our first impressions. Because we want to get people out there. We want people that when they hit the campus, they realize that something of worth, of great value is happening here. Something that is exciting. Something that actually transforms lives occurs in this place. So what does he say? Shout joyfully. 
That's who believers are supposed to be, that when they come into this place, they see a people who are joyful. I love what this word actually means. When he says to shout joyfully, the word there in Hebrew is the picture of a spontaneous shout of victory. What that means is back in the day when the kings would go out and do battle, when your city was threatened, they would go out and do battle, and whenever they would be done with the battle, remember the guy would come running up and he would say, they've been victorious, the king is coming, we've won the victory. And let me tell you something, people left what they were doing and they ran to that city gate and when the king and those soldiers came up, what do you think happened? You think they went, hey thanks, I got, a, I got other things to do today, could you uh, chop chop, ride that horse a little quicker. Pastor, it is 12 o'clock and the Methodists are beating us to the Golden Corral. No, you know what they did? They shouted. Because someone loved them enough to go fight the battle for them. Many laid down their lives for their freedom. If that would cause a shout of joy, what do you think it should be for us every single week when we consider what Jesus did for us? We shout about a lot of other things in life. How about we let the enthusiasm and the joy of our salvation come through. Ask the Spirit of God to work in you so that people can see in you a joy, a shout of joy that God commands. And, and some of you are out there saying, well, Aaron, you just, you just don't know me. I mean, I'm just a calm guy. I, I, you know, I'm not real lively. I'm not. Listen, if God intended for that to be an excuse for you, he would have said, shout for joy, all you who have a bubbly personality. All you who like to smile, all you who have outgoing, right? That's not what he said. Is that what he said at all? What did he say? Shout with joy all the earth. Remember, Jesus hinted at it when he said, fine, you don't have to praise. You don't have to worship. You don't have to shout for joy. If you won't do it, guess what? The rocks will. He'll get his glory through creation. But you know what the crown of his creation is, right? Us. And if the creation was made for his glory, how much more are, are we? He says, not only do we come joyfully, but we come gladly. I love what it says here. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. I told you that in the Old Testament scriptures, service and worship, they were almost synonymous words. Because if you remember, with the sacrificial system, you had to come and offer a sacrifice. You had some way to come and to serve. And so service and worship, they were synonymous things. And he says that when you come to the Lord, listen, up here on this stage, there are people that are serving, whether the choir, whether the band. Out, there's, there's people serving as teaching. There's people serving coffee out there and how does the bible say that we should do it no matter what we're doing what should people see when they walk in a people that serve with gladness i, I love it is gordon still in here i don't think gordon comes in here twice like he used to he's a busy boy gordon you know we just made gordon a little while back he's our pastoral care guy right you know what i love about gordon is no matter where he is he wants to serve. We were at a funeral yesterday. He didn't have to do anything. I didn't tell him he had to be there, number one. I didn't tell him he had to do anything while he was there, number two. He had done a great job leading up to this whole thing to care for the needs of his family. But what was amazing was I had a room full of people that didn't go to Hepzibah. 
that had never met me, had never met Gordon, you know what so many of them said? They said, that guy right there, and I turn around, and guess who they're pointing at? Gordon. They said, he loves to serve. Now, let me, let me frame this for you. He wasn't praying up front. You know what he was doing? He was walking around saying, can I throw that away for you? Can I get you more tea? Whatever Gordon Johnson does, you know how he does it? Gladly. <laughs> it makes all the... That family felt loved. That family felt served. That family was overwhelmed with the kindness of a gentleman as they simply watched him take out the trash. May Gordon's tribe increase. He knows what it means. because Let me tell you why that's important to Gordon. Again, worship isn't about what we get. It's what we what? Give. And it's not about us. It's about God. You know why he does what he does? It's because Jesus loves him and he loves people. It's that simple. And he serves with gladness. The joy of the Lord should permeate our service for him. Do you serve the Lord? And do you serve him with gladness for all that he's done for you? Because worship, ultimately, the reason service and worship are so close together is because all worship leads to obedience. All worship leads to a decision, a change of life, a change of direction, a decision to obey God and obey him gladly. And thirdly, we come singing. We come singing. Joy in the Lord, when you think about joy, it should be expressed in singing. I don't want you to miss the implication of this verse when it says, come before him with joyful singing. When you look at the structure of the verse, what it is actually telling you is, is that when you are singing worship and praise to God, most of us on Sunday mornings, we miss this. We're just distracted. We're thinking about other things. We're on our phones or we're thinking about what's coming after church. We forget that when we stand as a body of believers and we sing praise to him, we actually enter into his presence. Let that sink in. The honor, the joy that that ought to bring to our lives that the Lord God who created us, who we sinned against, loved us so much that he did everything to save us for a relationship and we get invited, come, come into my presence. And we get to sing. If you don't like to sing, I don't know how to help you. I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. You're going to be bored out of your gourd. Because let me tell you what's going to happen in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's going to be praise and there is going to be worship. And folks, we get to prepare now for the eternity that is coming. And folks, if you don't have a song in your heart, get on your knees and ask Jesus why that is. If our singing is lackluster, my hunch is that we've forgotten that we're offering it to him. That's my hunch. That we've come for us today when our singing is lackluster and when we're just there and we're like, oh, that song doesn't really hit me. I want to say, you know what? We ain't singing it for you. We didn't choose it for you. We chose it for him. And when we sing, you know who we sing to? An audience of 
one. Kevin's not up here doing a show. You're not the audience. God is the audience. We come surrendered. You're looking at the verse, I don't see the word surrender in there. Don't sweat it. Surrender's all over the verse. Because what you see there in the next section in verse 3 is he says, Know that the Lord himself is what? Is God. That means that when we worship, you know what that reminds us? It puts us in the right frame of mind. Because we come in here with all of our troubles, with all of our trials, with all of our sickness, with all of our sin, with all the stuff in life that weighs so heavily on us. And we sit back and we think, I can't change my life. That's good when you come in that way. Shout for joy because what you're actually doing is that you're remembering there is a God and you're not it. Surrender to that in your life. That ultimately, you know how much of your life you can ultimately change? You know what you can control in life? You think you can control everything, but let me tell you what you ultimately control. Nothing. But when we worship, we surrender to the truth that there is a God and we're not it. We surrender to the truth that, you know what, we're not creators, we are the created. It's not us who made God, God made us. There's such a beautiful picture of surrender in these verses. He says we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We submit because he's Lord. We submit because he's creator. We submit because he's our redeemer. He bought us back. The Bible says we're not our own. Isn't that what it says? Am I correct? We were bought with a price, the precious blood of of Jesus. He chose us. He called us. He redeemed us. And we submit to him. You know what? The, I love that it's in there. Because it almost seems out of place in a way. You know what he reminds us? That we are his sheep. You know what we have? You know what we can celebrate today? Because we have a good shepherd. who He nurtures us. He cares for us provides for us we have a good shepherd and we get to say he's ours and we're his and lastly in this first point we come thankful joyful we come gladly surrendered we come thankful and it says that, and I love the way it puts it here, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. So it says, before we actually get to the place that we are going to do this together, do you realize that he says your heart should be prepared in advance? It says, as you're entering the gates, enter his gates, how? With joy. That's why those people had every right to stand in that parking lot and to look and see, do I even see anybody here that looks like they want to be here? Anybody here that has any joy on their face? Does anyone look expectant? That they're going to come in contact with the living God. Because we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Kevin's job is not to drum it up. What Kevin's job is, is to give you an outlet. Does that make sense? 
not drum it up, to give you an outlet because you get here and what do you want to do? You want to say thank you. What do you want to do? You want to praise because you know his word, you know God, you know who he is, you know what he's done, you know what he's going to do, you know the end of the story and everything in us ought to want to well up when we come into this place because we enter his gates with thanksgiving, we enter his courts with praise. If you come on Sunday and you say, I just didn't get anything out of it, it's probably because you spent the week not putting much into it. And it's not our job to drum it up. I want Sunday to be that moment where you are like a racehorse that's been in a gate and all we got to do is open the gate and you just can't wait. That's how you should come to this place. And if not, then what I would tell you is you've probably found Sunday to be the place. It's like the gas station. It's just where you come and fill up, but the rest of the week you have no thought. No quiet time. No, no walk with God. You're probably not praying. You're probably not studying the scripture. You're probably not connected. You're probably not serving. People that come in that really struggle with this, I want you to step back and I want you to think and I want you to ask why. Because sometimes people go church to church trying to find a church that will give them something. And trust me, churches, we give the gospel, we give hope, we, we do those things. I want you to reflect and see, is there a dryness in my life? Or do I have living water welling up within me? If I go to church and there's just nothing there. Because we come thankful we come praising but secondly i want you to see we talked about how we come now i want us to look at why we come i love this part of this psalm because it points us to understand that we come and we worship and we have reasons to worship every day that you walk in here i don't care what your circumstance is you have a reason to come in and to be thankful and to be and, and to worship and to praise I love what it says. It says simply, why do we do this? Because the Lord is what? What does the text say in verse 5? Oh, you're in Psalm 23, Bill. The Lord is good. Right? The Lord is good. Let me translate that for you. It doesn't say that sometimes he's good. It doesn't say part of the time he's good. You know what it simply says? The Lord, he is good. Good. No matter where we are, no matter what we're facing, understand that God has his purposes, that God has his plans. God is not in heaven forgetting you. God is not seeing you. God's not up there, you know, uh, just distracted with other people and other things. Folks, God knows. God sees. God cares. God is moving. People ask this question all the time. This is one of the base questions that people ask about God. How can God let all this evil happen and yet you say that he's what? good that's a hard question to answer isn't it many people many christians scratch their head they get asked that and they're looking for the pastor don't look for the pastor the answer is simple you know why this world is broken it's not because of god you know why it's broken it's because of us it's because of sin when sin came in sin destroyed sin killed and that's all that it does it's all that it's ever done it's all that it will ever do 
And the reality is, sin is a killer. And we brought sin into this world. And folks, sometimes the problems you're facing, sometimes it is because of your sin. Sometimes it's because of the sin of people around you. That's why you should never buy the lie. What I do doesn't matter. It's my decision. It's my life. Well, you know, you got nothing to say. It's my life. No, no, no. If we're all out in a boat and you're the dummy that pulls the plug, guess what happens to the rest of us? You can't say that sin doesn't matter. And it doesn't affect anyone but you. It affects your children. Listen, our sin affects generationally, the Bible says. And so the goodness of God is not in question. It's the goodness of man. And when you get to that point, then you want to say, that's when you want to ask God, well, then God, why don't you just get rid of evil and sin? You don't know what you're asking when you ask that. Because for God to rid the world of evil and to rid the world of sin, you know what he has to actually rid the world of? This pastor and every other pastor and every other person that sits in a pew and every other person that's never been to church a day in their life because we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and everything that happens in this life is a result of our sin. It's not a question of God's goodness. And you say, then why doesn't God just stop it? Good question. He loves you so much. He wants to give you a chance to repent. Do you realize God could stop it all right now? God could end it today, but there are still people that will respond to the gospel when the gospel is preached, and he's going to let the gospel go to all nations and to all people and to all tongues. And until that happens, he's patiently waiting. And you better say thank you. Because to get rid of sin means he has to get rid of the sinner. And every day that he waits, it is grace and it is mercy. Our God is good, not just when things are good. He's good. All the time. All the time. And so we don't worship him when things are just good. And we stop when things are bad. No, we shout to the Lord with joy. We serve gladly in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of it all. We come because we never forget. We worship because we never forget God is good. Satan has no new tricks in his playbook. All he has to do to get you to quit worshiping is to get you to question whether God is good. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. He questioned God's intent. He questioned God's word. Why did he tell you this? He's holding back from you. You can't trust him. That's always been his play because we won't worship someone we don't trust. So don't let anyone convince you. Don't let any circumstance convince you that our God is not good. But not just his goodness, his loving kindness. What is loving kindness means that's, a, that's one of the hardest words to translate in all of Scripture. There was no English word for loving kindness. They kind of had to make the word up almost to make it fit into the English language because loving kindness, it, it absorbs words that are very important to us, like grace, like mercy, like God's patience, like God's faithfulness. It's his covenants. It's the picture that when God makes a promise to us, he is faithful to keep that promise. We can trust him. God pours out his love toward us even when we were sinners, even when we were rejecting him. He was chasing us. He is in every way faithful. 
How do you put that into one word? <laughs> the best they could do was loving kindness. It's an important word throughout all the Old Testament scriptures because it reminds everybody that we serve a God with unfailing love. You come today, you say, could God love me? My answer without hesitation is, you better believe it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love toward us. If you want to see how God made his love known, he said that Christ died for you while you were yet a sinner. He didn't say, get it right and come to me. He said, I will find you and I will make it right if you will simply believe and trust and follow. What about his faithfulness? I love that word faithfulness because what it tells us, if you look in these verses, it says, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness, it's everlasting. It never goes away. It says in his faithfulness, it is to all generations. You know what I love about that? That means God's not like us. God's not fickle. People are fickle, right? You ever have that person, like one day you got them figured out, and then the next day they're totally different? And you don't know how to please them? Don't elbow your wife at this moment. Or your husband. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Aren't you glad that God is faithful to his eternal qualities? That he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to treat you different on a whim or just simply because he's fickle. We have a God that absolutely we can count on to be true to his eternal attributes. He's faithful to his covenant promises. He is true to all of his revealed purposes. And you know what it says? You know what the greatest proof of his faithfulness is? Is that more times in scripture than anywhere else, the promise he gives over and over is, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Makes a difference on the mission field, doesn't it? Makes a difference in the pastorate, doesn't it? Makes a difference when you're sitting at home alone for the first time. Makes a difference after you've lost a spouse. Those words are what we need so desperately every day. You get to come and proclaim, I am never alone. God's faithful. I am never helpless. God's faithful. I am never hopeless. God is faithful. When you go over to Psalm 86, you find that it adds two things there. It talks about his greatness. His greatness is synonymous with the word preeminence. What greatness and preeminence mean, it's really talking about the glory of God. What it means is that when you compare God to anything and anyone, guess what? There is absolutely no comparison. What's the glory of Everest? Highest mountain in the world. The glory of an Olympic athlete? They have conquered every other athlete, and they have won and shown themselves to be the best in the world. Folks, that's what preeminence, that's what glory is talking about. But when we talk about our God, folks, he is altogether glorious. He is altogether different. He is holy. There is no one like him. No one will ever love you as much as God loves you. No one will ever be as patient with you as God will be patient with you. No one will deal with you more righteously ever than God will deal out righteousness. Listen, God in every way makes everything else look like nothing. 
when he says that I know all things, I mean, he, he means it. And we think we know a lot. You know, what do you really know? Do you know how many feathers are on a bird? Do you even know all the names of the birds? Do you even know how many species of ants there are? Do you know? I, mean, I could sit here and rattle off things that you're going to suddenly realize, I don't know, Jack. But God knows the hair is counted on your head. Some of you, he don't have to count. He just says, amen. That's the God that we serve. He is great. And you know what he closes with? He says he does wondrous deeds. For he is great and his deeds are wonderful. He does wondrous deeds. Let me, let me break that down for you. We serve a God who does miracles. The Bible is replete with miracles. Miracle after miracle of God showing his power, showing his might. Showing to us that he is in complete control. Jesus standing in the bow of a boat telling nature what to do, right? Jesus speaking and people being raised from the dead. God speaking and everything is created. Think about the wondrous deeds of God. But I want to tell you what the most wondrous deed is. You. You know where the glory of God is best displayed? When he takes something that is dead and broken and he makes it alive and he puts it back together again. And we are to be trophies of God's grace. He wants to show off his people to show his power and his might and his glory. And the most wondrous deed that exists in this world today is any of you who truly are believers in Jesus Christ because you have been transformed and you are being made into the image of God. And literally, when people see you, they are supposed to be seeing him. And I can tell you what, if it was dependent on me, that would never ever happen. I gave my life to Jesus and I said, mold me, shape me, make me who I'm supposed to be. You promised me that if you begin a work in me, you will be faithful to complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. And I still cling to that with all of my might. God, make me one of your wondrous deeds. Folks, if you don't believe it, the Bible over and over declares that your good deeds that the way you live your life, that the proclamation of the gospel that comes from your mouth will make men rejoice and give thanks to God. But until we learn to worship and take serious this first call to come worship God, to live in a personal, growing relationship with Him, we'll never make an impact on the world. The implication of Psalm 86 and Psalm 100, it's in two places. You see it when he talks about rejoice all the earth. And when you see it over in Psalm 86, when he says, the nations will come to me and they will give me glory. I want you to see that when those words are spoken, because of God's greatness and his wondrous deeds, the nations will come. It's not a possibility. It is a certainty. He doesn't say it could happen. It might happen. He says that when we declare the greatness and the mighty deeds of God and the world sees that the nations will come. Not a possibility, a certainty. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. 
So let's ask the last question. Who can come? It's a very simple, short answer. Anyone? Isn't that good news that God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, what? I'll give you rest. Anybody heavy and weary? Come, you who thirst, and you will find living water, and you will thirst no more. Is anybody out there thirsty for life? You know what death is. You know what destruction is. Are you ready for forgiveness and life? Abundant? You know what he says? Come. Whosoever will may come. Anyone. Everyone. All the nations. That's what the scripture says. All the nations. There is a missionary focus to this verse for all the earth to shout to the Lord. They have to know who he is. If they're going to shout, they have to know who he is. And the one way they should know who he is is he sees the believers. They see the believers of Christ worshiping the king. Does the world come into this place and see joyful Christians? Because let me tell you something. When we are about coming and connecting and serving and going, we're about making disciples and we're about worship. Let me tell you something. This is the truth. The Great Commission will not fail. Let me say that again. The Great Commission will not fail. The question is, will we get to be part of it? Will we say yes? Will we live in a way that makes a difference in the lives of people and for the kingdom of God? As Kevin comes this morning, I just want to close with this. It's a story about John Wesley. Many of you know who John Wesley is. One of the great preachers in American history. We know because, we still hear the word because of Methodism. Wesleyanism, right? We know the Methodist church and God used this man to preach through the revivals in America and much of the early church planning that went in and, and happened in America was through this gentleman before he was converted to be a believer. He tells the story of a man. He didn't know his name. All he knew was he was the guy that carried the luggage at college. Back then, when you went to train stations, well, you had porters. You didn't have to carry your own stuff. They had porters. And there was this gentleman that was always the porter there outside of where he lived. And as he was at college, he began to recognize that this man had no clothes that were of any value. He always wore the same coat, and they were dingy and dirty, never washed. And you could tell he wore the same thing day after day after day. He noticed that the man was emaciated, that he hardly ever looked like he ate, and he never saw him eating. And he realized that this man was extremely, extremely poor. But he said this man that was hungry and destitute, he said, I saw him that he was overflowing with gratitude towards God. And see, that's what we've been talking about today. John Wesley said, I couldn't figure it out. I kept looking at this guy. He had no reason to celebrate, yet he celebrated. No reason to give thanks, yet he was giving thanks. And he lived a life of gratitude, a joyful life. He served gladly the people that were around him. That's what John Wesley was saying. And Wesley finally said to him, he said, you thank God when you have nothing to wear. You thank God when you have nothing to eat. You don't have a bed to lie upon, yet you thank God. And he said, what else do you thank God for? kind of sarcastically. And this is what the man said to him. 
He said, I thank him that he has given me life in my being. I thank him that he has given me a son, Jesus Christ. And he's given me a heart to love him. And he's given me a heart to serve him. So just like Gordon yesterday, people see that and it changes everything. This poor man gave his God praise. That's all he did was he simply lived his life giving God praise. And you know what was amazing? This great man of God that would be used across America to bring thousands and hundreds of souls to Christ. Part of the reason he was led to the Lord was because of the example and testimony of that man. Now, folks, we got to get on it. Don't make me pick up all these chairs and leave them over there and make you have to get them if you want to sit down. Love people. Encourage people. Come into this place expecting to be a blessing to others, to give and not just get, but more importantly, to come in here and to bless God and to let him bring healing and help. Through your sad tears, praise him. And you know what? I've found feelings always follow faith, but faith rarely follows feelings. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Father, we thank you that, Lord, today you've given us your word. It pow it's powerful. It transforms us, Lord. It reminds us, Lord, of who we are and what you created us to be. So, Father, I pray today that those in the sound of my voice, Lord, they will know that this isn't a message from Aaron. This is a message from you. I simply read your word and explained it. And, Lord, you're calling them to a deeper walk, a deeper relationship. Lord, you're calling them to be joyful, faithful. Lord, you're calling them to spend every, life, every day of their life being obedient to you. Lord, you're good. You're worthy of our praise. So, Lord, we're going to spend this moment praising you. Lord, singing to you, letting the words that we sing resonate in our heart back as a prayer to you. Lord, we're asking for you to make us alive. Lord, give us yourself. Live through us so that others will see plainly and clearly what they saw in Jesus, what drew the crowds, what made them want to come and to sit with him and to be with him, what brought children to him. Lord, it must have been such an amazing love and compassion enjoy in his life that drew those people to him. May that be alive in us. And Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day they find life. Today would be the day that they're saved. If they've never repented of their sins and turned from their sin and self and followed you, Lord, I pray that today they would ask you to change their heart, forgive them of their sins, and Lord, set them on a different path. Lord, may they confess to you that they believe that your son died for them. And he was buried and he rose again, conquering death in the grave. And Lord, you've given us the promise of eternal life because of the sacrifice that your son made on our behalf. And Lord, may they surrender to you today. Lord, may they pray to receive you today. 
Lord, whether in their seat or whether they come forward and say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me. I want to know Christ. I want to receive Christ. As we begin singing, Lord, may you draw them to yourself. And if they need someone to talk to, bring them up front, Lord, so that we can pray with them and start them on this journey that begins with worship. We love you, Lord. Speak to us in this moment in Jesus' name.